0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Under the Lights. This week we're heading back to Kingston Corner as we discuss Saints fortunes and we also have another guest on the episode today. We have John Weeks. We'll be discussing his match day and also life as a Saints fan for him. So without further ado, let's get on with it. My name is Tom Murray.
1: My name is Callum Wilson. This is Under the Lights and we're off to Kingston Corner. So yes, a couple of Saints games since we uh, last joined you—a visit to Merseyside and one to Manchester, and both with a share of the spoils and some encouraging signs ahead of the next season for Saints fans. On top of that, but we'll be we'll be talking about that a little bit between myself and Tom. But as Tom's mentioned, we've got uh, John Weeks. You will know him as the voice of St Mary's. He's, he's the PA, the man who would be uh, telling us all how much stoppage time there is, trying to describe all of the substitutions, which probably I'd imagine that this... Time is a little bit more difficult than usual with um, three or four at the same time. And we'll just be talking to John about life as a Saints fan, how he sees the season uh, at the moment, and then we'll delve into uh, our first segment of uh, Matchday Memoirs, where we'll, um, we'll try and bring to life for Match Day from a different perspective. And certainly looking forward to to talking to John about that. So John, I guess let's let's just um, talk to you about what it is that you do. So you know, during your day job, you're a journalist. And you work with a number of radio stations, I understand. But then, um, when it comes to match day, you're uh, you're the man on the mic at St Mary's.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I've been I've been in journalism, and radio journalism, six years now. And yeah, so I work for Global. I'm on Heart, and on some of the weekends, work I, I, on the weekends I work, sorry, I'm on Capital. Um,
0: and yeah, and behind the mic, it's Mary's on match days. Um, with a pretty good view from the PA box, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Fantastic. No, it, it it must be really strange, especially this time of season where you've got no you've got no crowd in there. So I remember you you sent me a message the the, the other day for especially for the shea Adams goal, how the balls just hit the back of the net and there's no noise whatsoever. Yeah, it's freaky, really. Um, because it, even you know if you're watching at home, you can
2: either have fa- fan noise on or off, but you've got commentary. Um, if you are the manager or one of the subs you can hear everything going on because you're right next to the manager shouting the player shouting etc in the box you're quite a way away from it but it's also relatively sort of soundproofed anyway so <laughs> at times you can hear literally nothing uh, you know me, me and uh, some of the other guys who work in the PA room love we'll to do a bit of our own commentary sometimes uh, just to, to give us some sort of noise <laughs> while the game's going um, but yeah it's, it's really surreal really really surreal because even if you're at home playing for FIFA you know they've got the fan noise and everything, and commentary, a lot. So it's a it's a weird experience for sure. And how do you? Um, so so how long have you been following the club? You're you're a Saints fan. You're from the city, or is this relatively new to you? Yeah, so Southampton, born and bred. Um, didn't really get into to football till probably like my mid-teens, fifteen, sixteen. Um, always played football with mates um, never for a team not, I'm not a very good at all but um, in terms of watching and stuff yeah really started going probably in the sort of League One days actually me and my mate used to go down to games
0: when obviously tickets were a bit cheaper and um, it was a different atmosphere with fans and stuff um, uh, yeah and followed relatively avidly since then, really. You started in League One. That was actually the uh, the uh, the promotion season from League One was the first year that I actually got a season ticket with Saints. So that, whilst I'd been watching them on and off, and I was a big fan, that was the first time I actually got to see them consistently. Is there a particular game that you remember fondly from that era or a favourite match that you've that you've been to as a fan?
2: Um, I think from that era, my memory's not great, so I can't pick one out from then. Um, Probably the the one that stands out for me is
3: the Sadio Mane uh, record hat-trick. I was there for that, and that was just something else. Um, The whole game was immense, to be honest, but we all know how good he is and seeing him pretty much at at his best... Putting three goals in the net in a matter of like ten
1: minutes or something ridiculous like that. It was uh that was the one for me. Amazing. Yeah, a six one win at, at home to Aston Villa is one thing, but then to, to see a hat trick is a second. But then to, to be there for such a Premier League record um that I don't think will ever be broken to get a to get a hat trick in such a quick time. Um it was a strange, strange one. I mean being in the crowd, it, it was odd because you almost didn't believe what was happening, you didn't really have time to to sit down after having stood up to celebrate one goal um, you still stood up and the other one goes in so that was mad I, I remember I remember Shane long scoring a, um, a ridiculous goal on top of that over over shea given but yeah great great memories good to, good to be able to, to watch your side from a league one standing then obviously getting the success of the back-to-back promotion so so as a Saints fan really you've you've almost only seen the the rise and uh, and the good times which wasn't always the case with the with Salampton especially a few years before in us in us getting to League One but in the, in the last few few seasons have been some some uh, relegation battles and now it looks like under Harsen it's all starting to to turn a corner let's talk about this season and let's talk about the the return after lockdown I mean uh, this is the first episode myself and Tom have done on Saints uh, since that huge win against Man City and you mentioned with that Che Adams goal and the uh, such a big victory uh, and a game that you can imagine from your perspective in the PA box, but also from ours uh, doing the commentary, you can imagine what it would have been like if there was a full house, um, the tension that would have been building up in St. Mary's and and to a man uh, on the pitch, but also in the crowd, everyone
3: pulling together and just trying to find a way to hold on to that 1-0 lead against against a team that have got such an arsenal at their their fingertips and the subs that were coming
1: on and just, um, you know what it's like down at St Mary's when you've got a lead to hold on to and they're they're sitting back as they were all game and to get to that final whistle, I think the scenes throughout Ralph Hasnettel and team going around the stadium, there would have been something really special. That's something we're obviously missing at the moment Uh, and and you touched on it briefly as to how odd it is with no one around there. What was it like in maybe those final five or ten minutes or stoppage time with, and even afterwards, with the with the players and the fans celebrating? Is it kind of just a an, an odd, eerie moment? And did you kind of look around and, and think, Yeah, you know, this this would have been a really different occasion
2: had had the fans been allowed in? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. I mean, I think there's you've got to say credit to the players for keeping up that sort of intensive defending to the last whistle with no fans, giving you that extra push. Like, I watching it, it's, it was weird because, you, you know, in my head I'm sort of imagining what it would be like with everyone there. And, you know, the, it, it would be so just loud from, like you say, from the tension and almost the stress, really, of just that sort of end of game, you know, last-ditch tackles and everything to try and, to try and stop them from scoring. But, yeah, it was, it was like I say, it, it is surreal, but the tension as a fan, whether you're watching from home, or in the stadium, whether it's these weird... You know, um, no fans at the stadium games it's still there. So I mean, I I'm I'm quite good at getting tense <laughs> tense games. And um, you know, there's there's uh, three of us, four of us in the PA room at the time, and it's it's just like dead silence, but there's stress there. You know what I mean? So it's like you don't want to say anything, you'll chant or like you're in the stands. So instead, it's like it's at home and you're just stressed and trying, just hoping for the best. It's a weird. It's a, it's a weird experience. I, I can't. I can't describe it. I was saying to the guys on the on the day. But if you're a fan, you're going nuts at the end. Going, come on, you know, let's have it, and you trying to spur the players on. Um, but with no fans there and without being able to hear anything, it's just dead silence. So it's, it's almost complete opposite to what it would be like on the normal day. Yeah, I guess from a, from a player's perspective, that might that might be a slight advantage as well because. Even if you're trying not to get on the players' backs, or you're trying not to um, show
1: how uh, not stressed, but just just the tension and how anxious they're getting towards the final whistle, that is evident. And when someone might miscontrol the ball, when we have a chance to relieve some of the pressure, and there are some moans and groans, or someone misses a header, and there are some gasps, and you know, that thirty-two thousand fans doing that, doing that at one time, it's obvious to the players, and sometimes. You know, it's been speculated with such a poor home form that might have a bit of an adverse effect. And you just wonder if there were some fans in the ground and there were some people who were growing restless with uh, the Saints' defence dropping deeper and deeper. Uh, you know, would, would that have had an effect on, on the team? But um, as, as we said, they got through that. And then the, the last two games, both mm-hmm. away from St. Mary's, so you would have been uh, presumably at home watching or,
2: or listening in two really good performances and deserved points uh, at Goodison Park and Old Trafford. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's been, we've been amazing, I think, since the restart. I put a tweet out about it the other day, um, just saying, I just can't, it's difficult to, to believe when you look back at the scenes in November. And to be fair, I think Ralph was trying different things and, you know, the team wasn't like a set team like it has been now. But yeah, we've been doing it amazingly. And I think the other thing, testaments to the players and staff and everything is just the fitness. So many commentators and staff saying, "Oh, you know, one of the fittest sides or the fittest side in the Premier League. They've clearly been doing the work behind the
3: scenes during lockdown, and uh, they're relishing it really." Yeah, they said Danny Ings came back fitter fitter than he was prior to lockdown in terms of his. Uh, they do all the tests
1: on them and the you know the biometrics and all of that. They said that he's he came back actually in, in better nick than he was um, than he was previous. Whether that's because Players couldn't leave the house, and and all they had to do really was the fitness regime. But um, yeah, it's real testament.
3: And as you said, Ralph's starting to get his stamp on the team, and that really showed in in both games. It was different performances, really. Tom from from Everton,
1: whereby Saints really could have been three or four nil up at half time, hit the woodwork a couple of times, missed a penalty, and actually watching them, I was thinking, well, this is a side in Ancelotti's Everton that really tipped a challenge for the top eight next season with uh, a really good manager. And in the first half, Saints dominated a game like I probably haven't seen them dominate in a long time in the first half. And then obviously with Manchester United, a more difficult test took the lead, did so well on the first 20 minutes, sucker punch two goals. But with that last stitch over
0: Femi goal really signified Saints and how they've come back from like he's like john said in november with some of those results and in the bottom three to keep fighting and believe in what they're doing i think that the everton this first half of everton was only maybe an extra goal or two away from being arguably our best half of football all season we were completely on top of them creating chance after chance and there was some brilliant one-touch play and it's uh I mean, for a team that supposedly has very little to fight for, the, the, the shackles are off. There's no pressure on the side and they're producing some really good, fluent football and against Everton. As I said, we were just Paul Prowse's penalty going in and uh, a couple of chances being put away from it being uh, Everton fans wouldn't have been able to complain had their side gone maybe three or four one down uh, by half time against Manchester United obviously it's a very different it's a different performance you're up against a side that are smashing teams left right and center the all of their strikers are contributing Mason Greenwood just 18 and seems to have incredible skill on both his right and his left foot right on Mason Greenwood I'm sure he's going to be a fantastic player but unsung hero of the season Ryan Bertrand sort of kept him under wraps for the entirety of that match until he came off and I think that what shows especially the tenacity in the fight that the team are willing to show is after Martial put Manchester United 2-1 up, Saints of previous seasons and of earlier this season... That would have been it. We would have crumbled and we could have easily gone into halftime maybe three, four one down. And then in the second half, just being left up, left to pick up the pieces and keep the scoreline respectable. And Saints did what I expected them to do. Now under Ralph, when we discussed it in the commentary of just to stay in the game for as long for as long as possible. Yes, they got quite fortuitous. Romeo stayed on the pitch. Manchester United had to go down to ten men purely because they'd be they'd made all of their subs at the times that they were allowed. And then Saints were able to dominate those last 10 minutes. But the Saints of old wouldn't have found that resilience and found that equaliser. And it's a testament to Southampton that, you know, to score the latest goal at Old Trafford since records began is remarkable. And, you know, the Manchester City, Everton and United games, you would not think whatsoever that Saints would be going coming through that week unbeaten. But now they've got a last three games of the season where they could finish the season possibly with nine points out of nine we don't want to get ahead of ourselves because there's teams fighting for their lives and got stuff to play for John Brighton and Bournemouth are up next two games against teams on the south coast obviously Bournemouth are in a bit of a predicament where should results not go their way Southampton could relegate them at the weekend are you someone who you know you don't mind Bournemouth you you wouldn't mind them staying up you'd like them to stay up or are you of the opinion of if Saints can send them down, then that would be, you know, a fitting end to the season? Well, initially, I'm
2: quite pro. It's not a derby. Um, <laughs> there um, was one time I went. One time when I was working and uh, I was doing a report about Bournemouth, I had to go down to speak to some fans, um, and I didn't really realise the, sort of, the sort of. I don't want to say hate, but you know, rivalry from Bournemouth to Saints fans and I just sort of said oh I'm a Saints fan myself and instantly the three blokes I was tra- talking to outside the Vitality Stadium were just like oh god oh no oh whoa, well, wow well, well. and just <laughs> and I wasn't expecting that response at all um, I don't know I'm quite I'm quite pro South Coast apart from one team so I would be quite happy for Bournemouth to stay up Um, uh, and you know I like Eddie Howe and their team isn't really bad and at, at times this season I feel like they've actually looked like they could do well, uh, and you know, you know, there's an element of bragging rights in saying, "Oh, you know, if we beat we beat you, and you relegated," that sort of thing. But I think the actual game itself is going to be very interesting, especially with what happened with Bournemouth versus Leicester. It's not going to be easy, and it's always the case at the end of the season. These these teams at the bottom. We're really fighting for survival
1: as we know too well as Saints fans Um, you just don't know what's going to happen it's a tough one to call so we'll um, we'll we'll go on to just look through uh, what a day is like for you I just wanted to ask you a a question just off the back of of the discussion about the Man United game and and that late equaliser if that game's at St Mary's and it's a full house and uh, Saints are 2-1 down and Obafemi manages to get an equaliser in the 96th minute um, against manchester united do you do you have are you kind of um, briefed to try and stay as professional and as neutral as possible or are you advised to try and interact with the crowd to try and express the kind of emotion and feeling around the stadium because as a saints fan um, and amongst other saints fans the some Marys would have been, Blow, the roof would have been blown off. And uh, are you? Do you get a creative freedom with that, or are you advised to um, to just be informative? Or would you would you would you have gone almost as mad as, as the crowd? And you often hear the PA's kind of changing their voice and almost giving it the whole sort of you know the goal scored by number twenty Michael Oberfemi Femi, and everyone sort of cheers. And you see some places where, especially abroad, but sometimes in England where they're kind of They'll tee it up and they'll they'll give the number. They'll give the first name and then the crowd kind of chants their surname. You know, if that was if that had happened and it was at St Mary's and there were crowds in that exact same situation uh, as we saw last night, how would how would you have played it, or is it really just just something that comes naturally and you um, you just try and without going too mad, trying and stay professional
3: yeah i think there's
2: a, there's an element of this it's a sort of license to to go a bit nuts sort of thing like y- you want you know ultimately as well as the informative side it's an it's, it's a, an entertainment role i think you know you've, you've got to add to the atmosphere inside the stadium and i mean in, in a way i mean i've only been doing the job since december last year so I'm sort of still finding my feet, and you know, still trying to get advice from people and teams as, as to how to do different things. But I think, yeah, I think there's
3: there's no sort of uh, comeuppance for if you if you do go a bit mad with it when it's a goal like that because everyone's everyone in the stadium gets it it's not like I'm going against any rules or
2: anything necessarily as long as it's you know legible and I don't just sound like I'm screaming down a microphone um, I think it's uh, it's it's fine so yeah so I, you know the tendency in your head you're going absolutely mad obviously and you do have to sort of compose
3: yourself to an extent say right I am actually at work um, and then go into it and uh, and announce it but I think there's, a, there's an element of, of
2: creative license and um, there's always sort of discussions on how things can be improved you don't want to be kind of yeah, you know, something happens like that, and the cold crowd go mad, and then you're their monotone
1: um, yeah. baseline. Just oh, and the goals. Oh, well, wow, as we've as we've often heard on the on the other side of things, when there's a late equaliser for the away team, and you'll hear, you know, on the goal scored for Manchester United is number nine, Nanty <laughs> Then just, Mike Mike just turns it off. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, you've kind of, yeah, you've got to kind of yeah, got to kind of follow the uh, and, and feel the kind of emotion that's going on in the stadium and play up to that. You've also got to be pretty ballsy to try it for the for, for the for the very first time where you're hoping to get a bit of interaction from the crowd. And I can imagine you, you try to tee up the last name and you shout number 20, Michael, and uh, then no one says anything. Yeah, <laughs> you fall flat on your
3: face. I mean, that would be something. I mean, if we were ever going to do that, be, that would be fully discussed so that we know what's going on. You know, there's always
2: discussions about what could work in terms of, you know, the whole entertainment package really, you know, what fans are like to interact with, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. There's always new things being tried, but um, yeah, I wouldn't I don't think I'd just go on my back and just go, no, it's, gonna work. it's
0: fine. <laughs> Question I wanted to ask you, John, just more of on um, obviously, you, you started the job in December, you you came in in the place of, uh, of Justin Gladys, who Uh, unfortunately passed away last year having been the PA at St Mary's for many many years I remember him being there in the league one days I'm I'm unsure as to how far back he went and whether he's in the Premier League went all the way back down and back up did you did you ever meet Justin
2: I didn't myself no for me he was the voice of St Mary's as well because obviously the timeline that I started going to games and stuff he was always the voice and you know he's always the voice in my head essentially um i never met him myself but i do i have worked with
0: people who have worked with him and things like that um but no not myself okay and did you when when you started did you feel that it was a a tough act to tough act to follow was he in your thoughts at all when when doing the job knowing that you were sort of uh, taking on his mantle as it were to continue being the voice of saint mary's
2: yeah massively because you know he, he he had so much pedigree. He'd been doing it for so many years, um, and you know, as, as the voice, you know, to me, he was the voice of the Marys. Um, so it's you know, it was massive shoes to fill, really. And it's just, it's, it's yeah, it's tricky because I'm yeah, I'm trying to sort of like hit the same sort of level of, of expertise, but you can't do that after like you know a month, a couple of months, a year, or whatever. So um, yeah, absolutely. trying to to hit the same sort of highs as he did, really.
1: You're not trying to emulate it, and that's the important thing, isn't it? You're trying to to, um, put your own stamp on things because if you try and copy someone like Justin after so many years, it's going to be obvious and it's inevitably, you know, with the pedigree he had, no one's going to be able to do exactly what he did. So it's about bringing your own kind of flavor to it and uh, and as you said
2: with the team that you've got you're always trying to come up with ideas to improve things yeah exactly yeah you, you can't emulate if you emulate someone then you're not really doing the job you're 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 mimicking uh, uh, someone else rather than sort of being your own character in a way so so yeah so and like i'm always working on that and we're always, like i say always talking about what sounds good how that can be improved you know with, with this talking slightly quicker or slightly slower or leaving a gap or adding things in there's so much that goes into it just to try and make the experience so good for fans which obviously at the moment we can't because there aren't any fans but yeah there's
1: always conversations so just just a quick question then before we uh, we kind of delve into what you do on a, on a typical match day you said obviously December was when um, when you started how did you get into the to the role is it something that you'd always like to do is it something that came up through your your other avenues you know what what were your kind of qualifications because it's, it's quite a, a unique job
2: it's not sort of something you can turn around and say oh yeah I've been a stadium announcer here there and everywhere it's kind of quite new so when did you hear about it and how did you um how did you manage to get the job? Yeah, it was a completely new thing for me. And it wasn't simply just a case of seeing it online. Um, I was chatting with some work colleagues about it, um, at, at the radio station. One of them is Steve Forbes and he is the match day presenter as of the as well. And he was obviously like, oh, you know, it'd be great, you know, if you can if you can work at Saints as well. So yeah, so I was going in with experience of broadcasting to be fair. Um I've been you know, as I said, I've been reading the news for six years and uh, although it is a different skill, um, there's an element of confidence, I think, that comes with announcing things to thousands of people. So, yeah, I went in and thought, you know, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'd never thought about it, really. I, I didn't know that it was coming up or anything. I just saw it and thought, I mean, that's a great way of watching the game. So, yeah, so I uh, so I applied and was lucky enough to get an
1: interview. Um, yeah, and, and thankfully got the job. In terms of the interview, obviously they talked to you about, you know, I suppose like any other interview, transferable skills and blah, blah 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 and all that. Did they give you a microphone? Did they tell you to stand up and read out anything? Were there were there any kind of almost auditions for, for the role? Because I suppose you could have turned round on day one and had, you know, a really squeaky voice when you tried to be loud or it could have been, anything could have gone wrong and they could they'd have to have been prepared for that. So you know, did you have to audition for it?
2: Yeah, yeah, to so had to audition. I had to go in literally into the BA room and and do it as though I was doing it in a game like I do now so it was uh it was a real a real life test it was, it was relatively tense because obviously you know I'm not an actor or anything so I don't really audition in interviews anytime I've gone for a radio job it's just a case of oh here's a recording of my voice so um yeah it was interesting I mean it was essentially preparing for you know inadvertently preparing for what I'm doing now <laughs> and um announcing to an empty stadium but um yeah so that that was interesting to be fair um, I didn't think I'd be doing it to an empty stadium again, but uh, here we are. But yeah, so that that was it. Essentially, it was just a case of doing it. They filmed it from in the
1: stadium to hear what it sounded like in the, in the bar, and I went from there. Oh, okay. So the mic, yeah, the mic was turned on, and you were thrown in at the deep end. It was it was a proper proper audition for you. That's it. There, were, there would have been
0: a few people in the city who heard it and thought, "What's going on?" <laughs> okay, so now we're going to go into uh the first time we've uh, gone into our new section uh, called Match Day Memoirs, we're going to delve into those now to uh, discuss what it is that you do on, uh, on a match day. Yeah, so um, let's, let's, let's take Brighton uh, is the next game up this Thursday. So it's an evening game, and on a typical, you know, say, say that, that this whole thing hadn't happened, and uh,
2: fans were turning up, and you were going into the stadium as you are now, but on a, on a typical non-lockdown Thursday night game, what would be your typical preparations, or what would be your what would be a tip match day for you as we delve into your match day memoirs? Yeah, so basically, we get in quite a bit earlier than kick off. Um, I didn't think it was going to be as early as it was like on on my first day. But we get in probably, I think it's between two and three hours before kickoff, so that we can come in as a team. Um, Like I say, I work with Steve and all the entertainment team. There's so much involved in it um, now. Um, And there just does seem to be a real focus on making the match day and experience, you know. It's not just about football; it's about everything else that goes on around it. You know, there's the fan zone now down at St Mary's. That's all managed again by the same team. So, yeah. So it starts off with a meeting and meeting room in the stadium, um, and we run through the running order of the day, who's doing what, any changes, um, how we're working together on the day. And then we go up to the PA room, and it's basically a full run through of what is going to happen throughout the whole match. Uh, pre-match I think as well as a bit of a run through for half time as well obviously there's the entertainment there's ticket giveaways and things like that so we run through the schedule which is actually really helpful so because you've already done it you sort of think okay I know it's coming up it's nice and easy we've all got the sheets in front of us it's almost well it is minute by minute what's happening next who has to be doing what at what time when are you going to be asked to do something you know often there's times when there might be an extra announcement I have to make for me um, and then it's just a case for me it's just cracking down and making sure that i know the names that i need to pronounce and how to pronounce them which does generally require a bit of like youtube digging for interviews when a is signed or whatever it can be interesting trying to find pronunciations at times um but I'm, I'm, i like to think i'm building up a nice list so that <laughs> when it comes to the next season i will be going to flick back through my pages like yes that's how you say it um so yeah so that's essentially what it is and then the build-up all the fans come in obviously loads of stuff that Steve and Tom do pitch side up until kickoff, uh, and then it's it's game time really so when so, so you'll
1: head in you'll meet up with the team you'll probably go and get get some refreshments you'll go through the script are there ever any changes uh, that are made sort of not last minute but but on the day and when when does your involvement really start you know when
2: when is it time for action for you? Yeah, so um, generally it's a bit of a template. There's an order to things, but you know, every now and then there will be changes. Maybe there's something new. Like I think at, I think at the last game or the game before there was a, an NHS announcement for key workers. Obviously, at the moment. Um, and yeah, so I so basically my my day starts in terms of actually paing. Um, on the first team sheet reached, which I think is shortly after it's actually announced, as the as the the uh, fans are coming into the stadium. Then there's another one. There's more fans are in the stadium. Then there's the build-up to kick-off,
0: and then the final sort of eleven. You're The final eleven. You you're speaking about pronunciations. Which which players' name is a, a, If you could pick out one or two player names that have almost caught you out, or which, which players have had the most difficult pronunciations for you so far? Uh, it's, it's it's tricky. Like um, to be fair, there have been a few that exist, but I haven't. They have they haven't been subbed on or whatever. But I've been fretting about a bit in the lead up I think is it the guy the Arsenal player
2: Papastopoulos is it Papastopoulos no I yeah. otherwise known as Socrates <laughs> that's the one that's Um the way out on that one that's very true um, but I'm like I quite, I like to get it and, and then go for it so it adds a bit of like I'd have an, an element of pressure to the job so that I'm sort of always engaged, my brain's always working. Um, I was just flicking through, actually, the, the Brighton team, ready for Thursday, and there are a yeah. couple of interesting ones there. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. this is the one, isn't it? He's the guy, he comes on. <laughs> That's it. I um, we have
1: something similar. Obviously, we've been doing the the audio descriptions since the beginning of last season, and, and similarly, we have to... Uh, research the names of of players but there's always like you just said there are always a couple of maybe youth players
2: that we haven't heard of especially if it's for the other team and you get the team sheets
1: an hour before kickoff and you're frantically looking uh, there's there's a massive surprise and you're like as you said you're on YouTube or you're looking online for some sort of um, way of pronouncing the name whilst having to do everything else on your normal match day and go through go through the teams and, and what have you. So there's always something last minute that tries to, to catch you out. And like you said, if uh, if they don't come on, then great. But you do still have to read through those those team sheets, including the subs, before
2: the game. They, yeah, that's exactly it. And it's just that, I, I mean, it, I like to be prepared. So I like to try and get it done. As soon as I can, make sure I've got them down. I'll, I'll literally write it down in phonetics, essentially, and, and go from there. But yeah, obviously you guys know that all too well. Doing the commentary, it's just a case of, of always praying they don't come on.
0: I remember the first uh, the first proper game that I did was uh, was actually against Brighton, the home game last season, the two all draw, and Jah- Jahan Bach was the uh, the player that was catching me out, and he was thankfully on the bench. And uh, one of the uh, the first bits of commentary that I had to do in the second half thinking I'd had a bit of a break because Andy had, been doing, had done his 15 minutes. And then it straight to me and Brighton uh, were readying a sub. And I was just thinking, please don't be him. Please don't be him. Please don't be him. And it was. And I was thinking, thank you very much. My tongue is going to be tied for the rest of my 15 minutes. But I think some sometimes it can just roll off the tongue. Sometimes it can be, you can you can struggle a bit when, when I did the England-Kosovo match. To, to tell the truth, I don't even know if I got some of the... Uh, even like 10% of the players' names, right, or who had the ball. I just picked names that were easy to pronounce and just said that they had it, um, to be honest with you. So uh, that's how I got myself through the first half. Um, One thing I wanted to ask you, John, is obviously a big sort of like a spanner in the works for you at the moment when announcing goals has got to be that of VAR. So what's the protocol for that?
2: Uh, for when VAR calls are made, do you mean?
0: If, say, if Saints look like, or, or any team look like they've scored a perfectly legitimate goal from where you're sat and you're ready to get that, you know, say number seven, Shane Long, et cetera, uh, what's the what's the protocol? How long do you normally have to wait until you're told that it's going to go to VAR? Is it the same as fans in the stadium waiting for it to pop up on the screen, or have you got any way of knowing just a little bit beforehand?
3: Yeah, so basically,
2: one of one of our members of the team in the PA box is tuned in to the VAR feed, and I think it's the same or similar to, to what the referee is. Um, so they are that person's job is basically to say they're checking this, by the way, they're reviewing it. So I've, I've got quite a good heads up most of the time um, because they can hear exactly what they're saying. So, I mean, the, the person who's doing that often has quite a tough job because, again, you, you're concentrating on the football, but also work out whatever they are talking about at the time. Sometimes there's like a tackle that you haven't seen because the play's moved on and things like that. So that's, I sort of don't envy that job of Um But it's really helpful for me, obviously, because... Uh, you know that's where the team is really what, good to be fair communication is immense so something's going on we're like okay we'll hold it for a second let's wait to see what happens with this let's find out and then the screen goes up and it's the, again there's the guy next to me Sam who puts the screen up so I know when that's going up so it's quite a good place to be in terms of in terms of the decisions and knowing what's going on um, it's it's never really a struggle which I'm quite thankful for yeah, and so just just to follow up on that then so
1: do you find yourself maybe uh, leaving it a little bit longer to announce that there was a there was a goal because usually you can kind of the goal will go in and you can have a look around and if there's no flag up or the referee is sort of pointing towards the centre circle then you're you know you're good to go. Um usually usually you wait until the crowd noise goes down, don't you? And then and then you'll announce the scorer. Is there a deliberate hesitation or pause just to make sure? And have you have you ever announced a, a goal that was then because we know sometimes that with the way that it's working at the moment, VAR is almost they're ready to take kick off and then they decide. Oh, actually, someone's someone's looking at something. So if you ever had to kind of almost go back on it, or uh, I know that in the stadium
2: sometimes you'll announce, uh, will you announce that VAR is looking at it? Do you try and have to walk things through, or has it been pretty straightforward for you? Well, again, that's the good thing about the team. We we will literally discuss it as it's going on. So. The person who can who can hit feed will say right. They're checking this, by the way. Let's hold off for a second. We'll work out what's going on and go from there. So it's all it's all very much a team effort. Um, if it was just down to me, then I'm, I would probably be a bit more uh, panicky in those situations. Um, but yeah, it's very much a case of we'll hold off for a second, see what VAR are doing, and then go for it. Um, other other PA announcers I've noticed in different games, they will just go for it as soon as it's in the back of the net other 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 announcers at the stadiums wait. I think it's a it's sort of up for up for playing with a bit depending on, on what you want to do as a club and, and, and what you want to do in terms of atmosphere in the stadium. And it, yeah, it's, it's difficult to, it's a difficult one to call, but again that's again one of the conversations we will talk about it. We'll discuss how it's gonna work best just to get the atmosphere right and get get them on, on point really. It is difficult as well, isn't it?
1: When I mean sometimes with the way that VAR yeah, is being blooded still, I have seen times where the goal's gone in, the referee's given the goal, everything's gone on as it should, and then someone's realised that something happened 20 seconds before where it might have brushed a fingertip, and it's it's a good 20 or 30 seconds before that's actually been raised to anyone's attention, so there is a void between the goal going in and even your team hearing that they might be looking at something because there's always stuff going on and they're always reviewing it and sometimes like you said you're listening to what the referee might hear he's given it the ball's gone on the centre spot they're about to take kick off and then he puts his finger to his ear and says hold on there might be something so there's always that chance uh that you've you've waited and just before kickoff you say okay well you know the score of the goal is and then there's there's something there's yeah you know, there's an added plot twist if you will do you ever announce anything to the crowd in terms of that var is being checked i know it comes up on the screen but just as a kind of a, a, a side note to say uh, you know goal being checked for offside or anything like that yeah yeah so so do we do all of the var calls i believe um I think even, yeah, with red cards and things like that, if they're checking them. So I'll do like announcement checking and then I'll do check complete generally. So yeah, it's just a case of uh,
2: being hot on it really with VAR. And I imagine it's just something that, you know, VAR anyway, seems like it's being changed and discussed and considered all the time. So how they do that has even changed during this season where, for example, it would be checking offside. All I would say is VAR checking offside. And then later on in the season, they added the name in. So now you say checking offside Shane Long, which is obviously helpful for everyone. But it's, I think that, that basically says to me that where it's changing all the time in terms of how it's related in a stadium, that could change as well, depending on, on how communication works. You know, do do VAR go, okay, let's get more people in and, and have a direct link to stadiums. So it helps. I don't know if they bothered with that, who knows. Um, but it's uh, it, it's always changing. So I think
0: that's that's always going to be interesting and see what happens with that. One question I wanted to ask, John, just going away from VAR is, I want to know why is there a specific reason for it? Is it just like courtesy? It's not for public humiliation. But if a player scores an own goal, you always hear that the goal has been scored in the 14th minute. Obviously, there's never an announcement that it's an own goal. Is that just etiquette or or, or is, is there a specific rule that you don't announce who scored the own goal? Um, I actually haven't
2: come across that yet. Um, so I don't I actually can't answer that <laughs> um, I haven't been told what the protocol is but i should probably ask it's probably a good, good shout but um, yeah I don't know I think I think it's probably a case of whoever last touched it he'd maybe announced that it. it was their goal um, and then it's. it always seems to me like that's what happens anyway when a goal goes in and it's either a deflection or it's just a bad home goal whoever last touched it seems to get given it and then later on commentary and the official's in football, like the Premier League or FA or whatever, will go, OK, officially, that is an own goal, or officially, that's their goal. So I I, I haven't come across that yet. But um, again, like I say, the team around me is so good that I'll, I'll, I'll know for sure what to do on the day. Yeah, just, uh, I wonder if also, I don't know how you get, because with most of the goals, you know who's scored, but
3: sometimes if there's a melee or it's bounced off someone and there's a lot of people in the box, it's difficult
1: to know. From our perspective, I don't know about yourself, who has actually scored? I don't know if you've come across it yet, or if you have kind of someone who's looking at the camera angles and television to try and see who got the last touch. But I, I wonder if, uh, if sometimes with the own goal, you know, no one's running off and celebrating. Sometimes you can see, you know, if Danny Ings has scored and he runs off to the corner flag, then you know Danny Ings has scored the goal. Whereas uh, if someone is sheepishly walking away from the goal, it's somewhat. More difficult to find out who it was, and it might just be that you've you've seen it as an own goal, when you've just kind of said that that's that's the scorer. Have you ever had any times where you're um you found it difficult to, to see who it is that's actually scored?
2: And is there a protocol for that? Yeah, well, again, we the other thing we have in our arsenal is uh, is the TV feed in the room, so we can see the goal again. Like I say, if it's obvious. If it, you know, like the Shea Adams goal you know who scored that but um, if it's not we'll, we'll just check on the TV see who it was how it went down again that the whole process is with is we are looking at it why let's look at the screen oh that looks white so we, so we have the screen which is obviously super helpful and lets us know exactly what's going on I'm sure it was you had to look more than once to, uh, to double check
1: uh, it definitely was Shea Adams uh, that I had scored but scored one from about 40-45
2: yards as well uh, that was a bit of a double take that was that was just a surreal goal because he's been so unlucky when he has been on and he's had shots. I remember at the start of the season when he was playing a few games, he hit the bar, he hit the post, he he was offside, it just went it went just wide. And as the shot was sort of happening, in my head, it just went in slow motion. And I think all the scenarios in my head were going oh, it's gone over, it's gone wide, it'll be, it'll be offside, there'll be a the foul, VAR, we're going to get involved.
0: And then it was just a goal and nothing happened. And it was just, I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh, OK then. What was your, what, one of my favourite goals this season has got to be Stuart Armstrong in the 2-0 against Aston Villa. How nice is it for you? Obviously, it's being a Saints fan, you're you're very tense in that situation. Just how nice was it to basically see a, a move unfold and you just know before the Armstrong has even got 20 yards closer to the ball that it's going to end up in the back of the net as a Saints fan that must be such a good feeling because I know I enjoy commentating on it yeah exactly that's it um and you know I'm I'm quite vocal in the box
2: to be fair so I will I'll be saying things as it's going on not in a professional commentary sense at all (laughs) but you know I'll be saying things to the guys in the room as it goes on and you know it's yeah that that sort of thing is. Announcing a goal is so nice to do because you're almost sort of giving something to the fans again after the goal's gone in. So you've got the excitement of the goal's in, it's in the back of the net, everyone's going mad. And then you're just sort of almost going, right, and guess what? Bang, this is who scored. And everyone goes wild again. So it's quite a, it's quite a nice thing to be able to do. And what's your favourite one been so far? It's tough It's tough not to say the Shea goal. Uh, I know no one was there, but <laughs> because of because it just came out of nowhere and you know we've been willing for him to score for ages now and that to be your first I think that's his first Premier League goal against Manchester City the audacity of it everything oh, yeah it's up there for me I think did,
1: did you add anything to the way that you you know I know it's empty but did you add anything to the way you announced it uh, I'm, I'm sure lockdown will go into the differences with lockdown um, and and if that has any impact on on the way in which you announce certain things like goals but yeah, was, was, there, was there kind of an added oomph to, to what you were saying? I mean, the players can hear you. So I'm sure that's that's quite a nice, something quite nice for, for Che Adams and almost between yourself and your team and him, you know, for him to be able to hear, probably, probably not how he imagined with no crowd, but to be able to hear, you know, the, the goal by number 10, Che Adams, I'm sure that's something that... that he'll be able to remember um, and that would be uh, really special to him
2: yeah I mean you know I wanted to to, to give him a bit of a a bit of a like yes come on you've done it sort of announcement Um, and uh, you know whether or not he took any notice who knows but when I after doing the announcement a minute later I got four four or five messages pop up on my phone people saying oh you just got a shout out on BBC because obviously it it was on the TV that game and I think it was Guy they had it,
3: been like oh and the PA announcer's just giving it the biggie for Shea Adams and yeah I was, I was
2: like oh I didn't realise it had uh, attracted that much attention but um, what, what was it
1: that you did then what, uh, how, how did you did you say our first goal for, for, for Saints for him or did you just did you just vocalise it in a kind of a, a,
2: a happy expressive sort of positive way yeah, I was just buzzing. So I don't know. I don't even know what I said. But um, <laughs> I like to think I was professional. I kept it to the, to the script. I think it probably was just goal for St. Shea Adams. But I, it didn't feel right to sort of keep it any more muted than normal because mm. it's just such an emphatic goal. So I, yeah, I, I, I had to give
1: it the biggie, as this guy said, um, really, I think, for Shea. I was going to, uh, I mean, my next question was going to be Has there been a time yet? It's probably difficult because that's a Mary's that haven't been too many occasions where Sampton have scored a winning goal or a really important goal because our home form's been so poor. But would would Adams be be the one where maybe you've almost gone over the top? Has it been a moment where you've you've had to restrain yourself or or maybe you, you have gone a little bit fanboy on
2: the on a goal? That you can remember. Um, I'm not sure, really. I mean, it, again, it's it's the whole sort of um, it's the whole sort of trying to appeal to the crowd thing. And for example, when Danny Ings was scoring quite a few, um, sort of started of this year when our form was just getting back to normal and getting quite good. Um, it was it it felt right to sort of go a bit bigger for Danny Ings goals because. He was building up this sort of gold scorer prowess for us, really. Obviously, now you know it sounds weird to say now because he's done so well, and now he just is scoring almost every game. But at the time, early in the early days, as the striker who sort of you know we got we got back almost, the fans are just you know and excited almost so I think any time he scores generally it's it's, it's been a bit more hyped
1: up but yeah the, the Shea one was, uh, was just something else not sort coming and there are fan favourites as well I remember you know for a long long time even when even when it's sort of uh, you know half an hour before kickoff, and you're running through the team sheets and you'll go yeah. through the defenders and you'll go through the, you know the goalkeeper the defenders and then you'll say oh number seven Ricky Lambert and it'll get a bigger cheer than yeah. everyone else just, just his name and then sort of uh, you know, Justin would maybe not pander to it, but he'd be aware of that. So even when announcing the teams, you will know, announce the fullbacks and whatever, and then you'll say, "Yeah, you know, and almost oh, number seven, Ricky Lambert. And you know, knowing that the interaction with the crowd was, was going to be there, I suppose that's that's what you're doing with, with Danny Ings because he's hometown, boy. he's, you know, our player of the season, top goal scorer going for the golden boot. So you know there's going to be that kind of Interaction and that response when you announce that he scored yet another goal. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, for us as a team, any and all interaction with the fans just makes you feel good because it, you know, it's it's all well and
2: good. Maybe one of us says to each other, I oh, feel good today," or whatever. But uh, there's no sort of bigger compliment almost than getting the fans on your side and and knowing that you're delivering, you know, the entertainment that fans are appreciating. You know, I think I think in uh, some clubs. Fans are a bit like, oh, you know, why are you trying to butter us up with special effects or whatever, or this, that, the other, you know, we just want the team to win. But actually, I think it's so much now, you know, if you look at the Premier League and the money that's made and how worldwide it is to be at the stadium, is always a privilege. Um, and I think it's just a case of, of being like, well, look, this is the stage we're at now just be you come into the gate you get a pint and then you sit and watch football and that's all that happens it has to be an occasion and experience entertainment going
0: on um and you know i think it, the fans do appreciate that yeah they, they certainly do and uh, you know when we're doing the commentary there's the the pyrotechnics the, the entertainment show before before the game starts, John, just going away from the uh, your job as a PA back to, back to Saints just for the the last three games of the season. We got Brighton, we have got Bournemouth, and we've got Sheffield United. How do you how do you see Saints ending the season? Do you think that they they could get nine points out of nine, or do you think that maybe? The tiredness and fatigue is going to set in. We may see some more rotation, maybe possibly even rest Danny Ings for one of the matches. Most likely, probably the Brighton game being so soon after Manchester United. How do you see the last few games of the season going? It feels like we're a bit of a runaway train at the moment. Um, You know, there's the whole, oh, they've got nothing to play for. I feel like in a way, Rouse sort of
2: said, well, no, you do, you know, after a tricky start to the season, now found this form out of nowhere. And I think, you know, as a player, you're probably just spurred on by how well you have been playing. that you just want to keep that going? So I I think it will do well. I think in terms of rotations, I was thinking about that on Monday. I was thinking, you know, when it comes to Brighton on Thursday, he's surely he's got to change things around three days against, you know, after that intense match against United. He's probably going to have to make a few changes. And, you know, being a typical Saints fan, I want to see a couple of the young guys start or, you know, get a, get a feature or something. But, you know, like, um, like Callum said, in terms of, you know, the nine points doesn't seem impossible. And that seems mad <laughs> to, to be saying this season. Um, nine points in three games. Um, I, I think it's possible. Um, but I think actually we may slip up in terms of Bournemouth just giving it that extra bit because they want to stay up, or Sheffield United maybe being in, in line for Europa Champions League spots. I think it could be it could be interesting in terms of those games. I think we're um, we've got nothing to play for, but it
1: certainly looks like something is happening and um, and going into next season the Saints fans will be more than optimistic and the most optimistic we've been in a in a long long time You're just just you you mentioning the, the games coming up and, and kind of uh, yourself over the Tannoy reminds me that whenever we're in doing the commentary uh, and, and we'll, we'll often we'll come on about half an hour beforehand because we've got fans uh, and supporters who like to kind of listen in and we'll do a little bit of a pretty much preview but the uh, we always have to stop and, and and ask them to listen to yourself when the when the teams are announced because it's just so bloody loud. <laughs> 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 we're, we're, we're talking about something and then uh, and then on comes the tannoy and uh, we'll say, oh, you know, the, the PA out, so we'll uh, we'll take you through the teams. So um, so we'll, we'll be we'll be sure to give you a nod and and to refer to you by. By name, as and when this, uh, this all gets back to
3: normal have you, have you, in the short time you've been doing it Just a question I want to ask Have,
1: have there been any times that you've you've made an error Or you've realised you've made an error or, or, or maybe something that you've done And you've thought, you know what I don't know if I've said the wrong person there Or I've pronounced the name wrong Have there, have there been any anything Because uh, it's obviously all high profile Especially prior to lockdown Because you've got thousands of fans there but have you ever done something and then immediately thought, or someone said to you, that wasn't right? It's, it wasn't him, or it's a different sub. Any errors? Yeah, my my first game there
2: was one, oh, <laughs> and it was again. I mean, I'd like to I'd like to say I can be let off because it's my first my first go at it. Um, but it basically, I think it was uh, Ryan Bertrand' goal or substitution, and I said twenty nine instead of twenty one because in the spur of the moment, I forgot what number he was. <laughs> didn't have Enough time to like scramble looking at my sheets. From being in radio, you know, I I've I've been used to having to quickly change something or reading something wrong and having to like change it without sort of making it sound like it. But there was just no getting away from it on that. You know, it was my first. It was my first game, um, and I've got plenty of grief for it since. But um, you know, it's it's always it's always likely that that can, that sort of thing can happen. But that's
0: sort of the buzz that you get. Is the whole like, you know, it keeps you in the game in terms of doing a good job on the day. I remember. At the uh, not not necessarily an error, but it was just uh, you could, you could almost visualise the uh, the PA announced at Wembley Stadium trying to get get this player's name out. Uh, it was in the uh, the JPT final against Carlisle, whizzed through the team sheets and then came up to Papawago and Dai and there was such a there was such a gap. As he went, Papa and and Die go. and there was this like yes. ironic cheer uh, from all the Saints fans as the PA announcer just made an absolute horlicks of then Saints number
1: nine. That's a man who hadn't done his research, John. Yeah, exactly, really? exactly. Um, <laughs> it's, all, it's all in the prep. Preparation is key. Um, just just a, a quick note then before we um, before we sign off. Um, tell us, we've already sort of. Uh, a, a, touched on it a little bit but what, what are the big differences from when you were doing it from December up until March and then since the return there's obviously a lack of fans but from and, you know, apart from the obvious whereby you know, no one's there to listen to you and and other things just a little bit of an insight into into what you do on a daily basis what what's different Uh, from your perspective and your team? I mean, I can think, for instance, you're not going to have any halftime entertainment because there's no one there to entertain. Does it seem strange to you that there's a man holding up an electronic board saying that there's five minutes of added time showing a load of empty seats and you're announcing it, but not really to anyone other than the players? You know, what, what are the sort of kind of glaring differences and, and things that you've changed or you think are worth changing yeah well i think uh,
2: you know obviously for a start the team severely depleted for that reason you know there's no one in to do the fan zone there's, there's no half-time entertainment steve and tom and that so it's uh, it's weird in that respect already in terms of, of in the in the box and the, you know the meeting beforehand and stuff um the, the general sort of lack of busyness in the stadium um Obviously, it's so high security there, um, and in terms of just safety and, and and being in the right zone and stuff, you've got to be quite on it with that. Um, so it feels quite strict. Otherwise, it's it's just the the, the quietness is the is the freaky thing. And, uh, and as you were saying about the the man holding up the board, that is is tricky because he's almost parallel with me as he puts the sign up so we find as a team we're all sort of leaning around the window to see how many minutes or what subs are going on um because he doesn't swing it round like he normally would to the fourth official to show the fans um so yeah maybe i'll have, I'll have a word with the fourth official and see if he can uh, spin the sign for me but um, where, is,
1: where is it in the stadium that you exactly where you sit sure. so, so we are in the corner of the itching stand
2: where it meets the away fans stand okay oh okay is that interesting uh yeah it is um <laughs> itching feels a bit like the, the new northern these days it's a bit strange but um it's, it's, it's great to be in with with the fans that are really giving it the, the singing and everything like that um yeah it's a good spot i'm not gonna lie there's uh, every day every match i take a picture cause i'm just like this is amazing this, this kind of uh, this view not quite close enough to the away fans
0: to, to get dogs abused there. no no thankfully. <laughs> John, thank you very much for coming on today's episode I hope you've enjoyed coming on we've certainly enjoyed you having uh, as our guest and learning more about life being PA. I've actually learned a lot that uh, I didn't or didn't know before and it's such a an intriguing world sort of you're so soundproof and away from the fans you've got your own your own little group Away there. So, uh, thank you very much for coming on.
2: No worries. And uh, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I sort of see you guys as the pros, really,
1: in terms of commentating. I sort of, uh, I'd like to give that a crack at some point. So, um, yeah, get me involved. Yeah, just before we, we sign off, yeah, thanks very much. And um, yeah, I've, uh, I've learned a lot as well. And that's that's kind of the idea of this new segment of Match Day Memoirs is kind of getting, think, getting a, a Match Day perspective from someone that you maybe had never. Really thought about, and we've we've learnt a lot before. Um, before we sign off, though, John, I, uh, I'd be would um, be rude not to ask you just to do just to do one announcement, <laughs> if you would. Whether that be telling us how many minutes out of time there are, or uh, or if the goal's just been scored by by Danny Ings. But could could we uh, could we get one one for the road? Oh, it's a bit it's a bit tricky over the uh, over
0: Skype. Um, <laughs> But uh, let's go with um, goal scorer for the Saints, number six, Tom Murray. Right, yeah, I'm a number. I'm a number six. That is not. That is certainly not the number I was expecting. But thank you. Thank you very much, John. That's
1: right. It's a bit difficult for me because uh, if you say oh, I've scored, I so think it's been a goal for Bournemouth, and with them still on to play, um, yeah, it's probably a safe move to go with centre back Tom Murray. Exactly. <laughs> Well, th- thanks very much for uh, for coming on, John. We appreciate we've taken up some of your time, but it's um, it's been a really interesting discussion and hopefully a, a, an interesting listen for the listeners. Um, you can find John; it's, um, it's it's John Weeks, and he's uh, he's on Twitter at. John Weeks five. You'll be able to listen to him on Thursday if you stand outside St Mary's Stadium uh, for long enough. Hopefully you'll um, you'll hear a couple of announcements for for goals and hopefully there's not any any time where John has to announce four substitutions for each side at, at the same time and frantically going through his paperwork. But uh, yeah, you find John on on Twitter and um, yeah, thanks very much for coming on, John. No, I thank you. It- you find me. Uh, on Twitter at Calamilson21. Of course, uh, Under the
0: Lights podcast, we're on there as well at at under underscore saints. And you can find me, Tom Murray, on Twitter at T214Murray. Thank you very much for listening to this recent episode of Under the Lights. Have a very good evening,